So this week we are going to, everyone get out your uh, little piece of paper that has the watering pail. And I want you to notice in this beautiful prayer that Jesus is teaching his disciples to pray. Um, there's the first three requests, if you look at your watering pail, are focused on God. And the next three are really requests, uh, are focused on man's need. Um, in looking at my own prayers, and you see I, I wrote a little line between that. Um, this was my big conviction in the last two months because I've been preparing for this lesson for a while. And um, just trying to get out ahead of y'all, <laughs> which sometimes works and sometimes doesn't. Um, but I, I noticed in Jesus' prayer that he spends half of his time hallowing God's name. And I have to confess in my prayer life, that is not true. Um, I really am like, and I'm being better at it because now I've taught, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come and thy will be done. I'm much better. But still, my requests usually outweigh my praises and adoration. So, but I'm just saying I'm not there, but that's what Jesus said, half and half. Um, now, we don't want to get crazy about this. This is a guideline um, for our prayers. But I do think we could, all, we could all get better at that hallowing and just living in his presence a little longer, appreciating everything that he's doing, thanking him. Um, I, I think that's a huge part. <clears throat> so, okay, so John MacArthur writes, and I've quoted this, and I'm going to keep quoting because it's really one of my favorite quotes, <clears throat> that Jesus, in fewer than 70 words, we find a masterpiece of the infinite mind of God, who alone can compress every conceivable element of true prayer into such a brief and simple form, a form that even a young child can understand, but the most mature believer cannot fully comprehend. So we are just now into the man's need. Last week we did give us this day our daily bread. Um, you can see that this prayer, again, John MacArthur compares it to a diamond that has many facets. And uh, some of the facets that we've talked about is the balance between God's glory and man's need, which we just mentioned. The threefold purpose of prayer, which is hallowing his name, ushering and asking for his kingdom to come, and of course the third one, which is the hardest, to do his will. Um, then we approach uh, our needs, and he gives us our needs. These are our needs of body, soul, and spirit. Last week was body, this is our physical needs, and he says, give us our daily bread. And we know daily bread is, is whatever our, we need that day, okay? Now, it's not the, 50, the 401k or whatever that is because <clears throat> that's about tomorrow. He wants us to be like children and they're only concerned one meal at a time. Um, so <clears throat> then uh, this week we're going to talk about his approach. Um, so last week was the present and it had to do with our physical needs. This is the past. Forgive us our debts. So this and this is this is the need of our soul is forgiveness. Um, if you could sell forgiveness, you would be a millionaire in our day and age. Man, I, I'll tell you that's something we don't think about much. But if you as a as a as a counselor, man, I, you just have no idea 
un how bad unforgiveness is when we harbor it in our hearts and have that root of bitterness that the Bible talks about. So, um, so this is a brief sampling um, of this Lord's Prayer. Right now we are into where we are going to ask for forgiveness. Um, notice John Stott mentions this, that when we go from God's glory to our needs, we change the, uh, the possessive adjective. We go from our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed, hallowed be thy name. We go thy kingdom, thy will. Now we flip that over to give us. Okay, so we're changing. But remember, too, that this one of the coolest things about this prayer is that it's not give me. It's give us. Because this is a corporate thing. We're all involved in this prayer. And when I say forgive us our sins, I, you know, it was some of the best prayers in the Bible is like Daniel confessing the sins. They're not even his sins. But he's confessing them on behalf of the nation of Israel and God hears him. Some of the best prayers are from people that they, they didn't even actually do that. Um, so we can confess and ask God to forgive. Let's think about our nation right now. Um, we, we, we are all about this. So forgive us our sins um, is where we are. And we have to realize, too, that true understanding that is that after we glorify God, all our needs are coming secondary to that, okay? Forgiveness is, is as indispensable to the life and health of the soul as food is for the body, John Stott says. So the next prayer is forgive us our debts. Sin is likened into a debt because it deserves to be punished. But when God forgives sin, he remits the penalty and drops the charge against us. So this is where we are. So let's all turn to Matthew 6. And I'm going to give you the outline today, which uh, actually I found in John MacArthur's uh, commentary of Matthew. First uh, Matthew 1 through 7. And if you're taking notes... We are on the verse, Matthew 6, 12, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Um, so there's four parts of the outline. Number one is our problem, and that is sin. The second is his provision, and that is the cross. The third one is our plea, that's confession. And then the fourth is his prerequisite, and that is our forgiveness of others. So those, that's what we're going to follow today. So the first thing we want to talk about is our problem, which is sin. Now, let me just tell you, I had a professor in college that said, you know, the hard part about getting people saved is not the salvation part. It's the part about getting them to admit they're sinners. Um, and that is huge, especially in our day. Um, so sin, Clark says, is re represented here under the notion of a debt. And as our sins are many, they are called here debts. God made man that he might live to his glory and gave him a law to walk by. And if he does, not, if he does anything that tends not to glorify him, he contracts a debt. Um, of, and basically... He contracts a debt with divine justice, okay? Sin is a big deal. John MacArthur 
writes, uh, the Greek word for sin is apphelia, and here, um, and it's translated debts. It is one of the five Greek words that the New Testament uses to convey the idea of sin. Um, the one I've talked about before is hamartia, which is the most common one, and that actually is the one that Luke uses when he is talking about the Lord's Prayer in Luke eleven four. He says, forgive us our sins, and he's using that word hamartia, which means missing the mark, okay? Um, uh, sin misses the mark of God's standard of righteousness. Um, now, it's interesting that Matthew uses the word debt. Um, he probably uses the word debt because it corresponds to the most common Aramaic term, hobo, for sin used by Jews of this day. Um, and it also represents a moral and spiritual debt to God. Now also, and this is my thing, if you've not watched The Chosen, you need to watch The Chosen. But um, anyway, my favorite character almost, of course, is Jesus. But <laughs> my second favorite character is Matthew, um, who is portrayed as somewhat Asperger's-like <laughs> guy that loves numbers, and he's the tax collector. So he's the, And so my take on this is that Matthew says debt because he's all about the numbers, okay? He's an accountant. He's the taxpayer. He, he thinks in math, not like me. Um, so uh, the noun for debt is used only a few times in the New Testament. However, its verb form is found often. Uh, as many like, as 30 times, and it always refers to the moral and spiritual debt um, that must be paid. So, uh, so what is sin? Sin is missing the mark of God's righteousness, okay, of his holiness. God is holy, and anytime we, and he, right, he gives us all these laws to say, this is the law, this is my, my, the mark of holiness, and anytime we stray from that, we are in sin. So secondly, sin is described as a state of enmity or estrangement. Um, human beings by nature are the enemies of God. In our natural state, scripture tells that we are estranged from our heavenly father, the one who made us and sustains us. So when we talk about regeneration and, God, and asking forgiveness, um, basically, uh, R.C. Sproul says uh, that we need to be at peace with him. We were, at enemy, we were enemies with God, and now we are at peace with God through the shed blood of Christ. Um, and forgive us our debts, he says, basically, that means like I'm giving up. I can't fight you. I don't want to be estranged from you. I want to be restored to you. I want to be able to love you. John uh, R.C. Sproul says, and I want you to love me in spite of my hostility, despite who I am. Praying the fifth petition, which is forgive us our sins, of the Lord's Prayer, he calls that suing for peace. And that's kind of a neat way of looking at it, suing for peace. So Ryrie's definition, which is my all-time favorite, is that sin is anything that's contrary to the character of God. So you have God, you have his holiness, you have all his attributes, and anything outside of that, that would be sinful. So you have to realize that that is what the Bible calls sin. Um, Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. See, we fall short. 
we miss the mark. So uh, we're aiming our arrow and we don't hit the target. So we fall short of it and that's what he called, that's what a sin is. Um, anytime that we miss the character of God. Uh, and it's very interesting because in our common culture, you know, we call like murder, that's a big sin. And then lying, that's a little sin. And we have in our, you know, gradients of sin, but all sin is repellent to the nature of God. All sin casts us out of his presence, even the good ones and the bad ones. Um, So uh, John MacArthur writes, and I I love this, so I'm going to read the whole thing to you. Sin is what separates man from God and is therefore man's greatest enemy and greatest problem. Now, you don't hear that on the news, do you, ladies? Uh, But that is a fact. Sin dominates the mind and heart of man. It has contaminated every human being, and it is the degenerative power that makes man susceptible to disease, illness, and every conceivable form of evil and unhappiness, temporal and eternal. The ultimate effects of sin are death and damnation, And the present effects are misery, dissatisfaction, guilt. Sin is the common denominator of every crime, every theft, lie, murder, immorality, sickness, pain, and sorrow of mankind. You want to know what the denominator is? It's sin. It is also the moral and spiritual disease for which man has no cure. So when Jesus came and all the Pharisees, and because again, we're right in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount, all the Pharisees want Jesus so badly to be the political hero of the day. Jesus is saying, I have come to defeat the enemy, but the enemy is not Rome, which is what you guys wish it to be. It is you. It is your sinfulness. And that is what Jesus came to do. Uh, Jeremiah 13, 23 Jeremiah says, can the Ethiopian change his skin or the leopards his spots? Then you also can do good who are accustomed to do evil. The Bible says real clearly, Romans 3, 10, there are none righteous, no, not one. So the problem that we have is man's sin. And the problem is, really, bigger problem is that the natural man doesn't even want the sin cure because he loves the darkness, 1 John tells us, more than the light. That's 1 John 3.19. Isaiah 59, 1 and 2 state what the problem is the best. Are you ready for it? Behold... The Lord's hand is not shortened that he cannot save, nor his ear dull that he cannot hear. But your iniquities, your sins, have made a separation between you and your God, and your sins have hidden his face from you so that he does not hear. So you see the problem? We're sinners. When Eve and Adam walked out of the garden, it started for the rest of us, and God, because he is holy and righteous, cannot even be with us because we are sinful. So that moves us to God's provision, which is point number two. His provision is the cross. The Greek word here for forgive us our debts, the forgive part, is aphemi. 
Um, and it means to send away, to let go, to let alone, to let be, to disregard, to give up as a debt, to remit, to keep no longer, to allow not to hinder, to give up a thing, a person, or to abandon. So that's what we're praying when we say, forgive us our debts. We're praying to God to cast them, hurl them from your presence. Um, John MacArthur writes, uh, because man's greatest problem is sin, his greatest need is for forgiveness. And that is what God provides. Though we have been forgiven as believers, the ultimate penalty of sin, as Christians, we need constant forgiveness for the sins we continue to commit. We are to pray, therefore, forgive us. Forgive us is the central theme, he says, of this entire passage. Verses 9 through 15, it's mentioned six times in only eight verses, which leads, um, which again leads us to realize that forgiveness is huge to what Jesus is saying. Believers have experienced once for all God's judicial forgiveness, which they've received the moment that you guys trusted in Jesus as your Savior. He separated all your sins as far as from the east as from the west. Hallelujah. We are no longer condemned. We are no longer under judgment. We are no longer destined to hell. Because the eternal judge has declared us pardoned, justified, and righteous. Okay, here's the verse for that. It's a beautiful one. Romans 8, 1 through 4. Therefore, there is now no condemnation. For those who are in Christ Jesus, for the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do. By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. So when you talk about the good news, the gospel, that's the good news. We are not under condemnation. Um, uh, uh, John MacArthur says, no one, human or Satan, can condemn us or bring up a charge against God's elect. Where do we know that from? Romans 8, 32 through 34. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up, for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies, who is to condemn. Jesus Christ is the one who died, more than that who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. So there, not, Satan cannot say one word to us because we are robed in Christ's righteousness. And that is a great gift. That is something that we should think about more. Another verse, you can read it on your own time, Colossians 1, 19 through 22, is another beautiful one. So because of the cross, we are declared righteous. He has sent, hurled our sins as far as the east is from the west. He has paid our debt. More than that, more than that, we are clothed in his righteousness. So it's not just the removal of the bad. It's the imputation of the good. 
So when Jesus, when God looks at me, he doesn't see, he sees Jesus. He sees Jesus. Um, so again, then why is Jesus praying, forgive us their debts? He's talking right now to the disciple crowd, okay? So these are kind of the believers there. So what is he talking about? Well, positionally, we have been forgiven of everything, even things you haven't even done yet that are wrong. So, I mean, hallelujah, right? But practically, <laughs> we sin every day. <laughs> Let's be honest. Um, so positionally, we're forgiven, but we still sin practically, and our salvation is not at stake here, but what's at stake is our fellowship with God the Father. Okay, so here we have oh, our tether, okay? Our tether, this is our tether, and because prayer is our tether to God, and through our prayer, our communion with him, we get to ask him for whatever we need, okay? But the problem is, daily, we sin, and he hides our face. He hides his face when we sin. He cannot bear our sin. So he has given us a mechanism called confession that we are to unclog the pipe, okay? So here is my bitterness, okay? So I confess that. Lord, I am a bitter person. I am about things. I, I'm just saying uh, uh, good, the good news is that I ran out of tissue paper. <laughs> That's the good news. Here's worry. Okay, I confess that. I worry. I am not trusting Jesus Christ all the time. Now, sometimes our sins are hard to find, so we need the Holy Spirit. You knew, that, you knew this was coming, right? So here's the Holy Spirit, because he helps convict. He says the Holy Spirit convicts us of sin, righteousness, and judgment. It's in John. Okay, so sometimes we need uh, the Holy Spirit a little help there. Okay, so then we have, oh, whoa, dropping my sin. Okay, so here, sin is messy. Let me just say, selfishness. Okay, um, now I, again, you're not going to see me confess murder. I've never killed anybody, but I these things I do are pretty much all the time. Idolatry, and you're like, oh, idolatry. She bowed down to. Idolatry is any time that I do not, I am trying to meet my needs <laughs> other than Christ. Okay, so, so you can have that one too. <laughs> um, okay, in the Old Testament, they call it adultery. Ooh, that's even harder, harsher, but anyway. And then here's my all-time favorite sin. Yeah, because in this world, I really think I'm pretty special. Pride. Um, so here's my sin. So I confess my sin. I ask Jesus to forgive me of my sin. I ask the Holy Father. And then what do I have here? A clean pipe. And so, and the pipe is not just so I can say, hello. Let me just say, I tried to put these in and blow them out because I thought that would be so fun. <laughs> Evidently, I need to work out more. <laughs> so I'm like, <laughs> I'm trying to blow, blow it out. <laughs> so, so then my husband comes along. Of course, Mr. Runner, 
He blows the whole thing out. I'm like, dang! <laughs> he is powerful. The Holy Spirit is powerful within that one. So anyway, so now I have a clear pipe. So this is my communion and my tether to him. So I can pray. And, and here's the, the here's because I'm the child, remember? It's mostly, I'm not doing much for him. He's doing a whole lot for me. So when I clean out the pipe, it's really for my benefit because I can do all things how in Christ Jesus who strengthens me. And this is, I'm cleaning out the pipe. I'm, we're now abiding. We're now one. And this is my communion. And this is clean and beautiful. Think about when it snows. Most of you guys, I don't know if you've ever been in a snow. But when, you, when it first snows, it is pristine. And you almost want to walk out in it because it's just so perfect. And that's how we get to be every day when we say to him, forgive us our debts. Okay? So this is a hallelujah experience there. Okay. So confession. What is confession? Uh, confession, the Greek word is homolegeto, which means to say the same thing. So basically, it's when I say the same thing about my sin to him, okay? It's owning my sin. As a guidance counselor, I'm all about truth and what's really true and what's real because we have a lot of issues with that in counseling. So my thing is, here's what I say, is praying, it's praying or admitting the truth about myself to God. Now, let me just say, I am interested in having and increasing my friendship with Jesus Christ every day. That's why I'm teaching, honestly, because I, I have to just keep staying out just a little bit in front of you guys. Some of you guys are way out ahead of me, but I know that, and I do know that. <laughs> However, I'm just saying that I want to get to know him better, and prayer is how he says this is going to happen. And prayer is not just, like we've said a million times, me talking to him. It's also him talking to me and me listening. It's having that communion. And like in a dating relationship, do you remember when you finally got to the point that you really were yourself? You know, it might have taken you one or two, maybe ten dates. But the bottom, you finally got to the point where you're just saying, listen, this is me and he's going to like me or not because this is it. Well, that's what confession is to Jesus Christ. When you finally look at him and say, you know, I, this is what I am. This is it. And, you know, help me. Um, as a child, we're asking him. David uh, prays in Psalm 51, which is probably the best confession prayer in the entire Bible. He says, and, and we're going to read part of it later, but I want you to hear this little tiny verse in 51. He says, Behold, you delight in truth in the inward being, and you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I will be whiter than snow. I'm just saying that inside of us, that kernel we talked about, Sir Spurgeon talks about, you delight, he delights in truth in my inward being. And that's, that's this. That's when I admit to whatever it is that I've done wrong, heart attitudes, anger, whatever it is, I admit. And that means I have truth then in my inward. 
part, and, and that means he's delighting in that. He's reinforcing that. Um, so confession is owning your sin. It is looking at God's splendor and holiness and realizing that we have fallen short. It's taking responsibility for your sin, and that is the opposite of what the world does, and that is blame. In counseling, I always have to get people to a point where they take responsibility for something. Because generally, they walk into my office with a kid or with a husband, and they're all about it being their fault, okay? So basically, they're coming to me so that I can fix them. And sometimes they're not, that the thems are not even there. They're, and I'm like, okay, well, this is perplexing because they're not even here. So how can I fix that, you know? So it, a lot of my counseling is really getting them to a point where they admit what they can do differently, okay? Um, so this is the same thing Jesus is trying to say is, hello. <laughs> Let's not play the blame game. Let's own what we do wrong. There's no self-improvement in counseling until he or she accepts responsibility and admits to doing wrong. Now, we don't say doing wrong in counseling. We, we have nicer terms than that, but that's basically what it is. Um, so let's look, you know, we're like, well, who else does that? Well, let's just say it's been done since the garden. In fact, it was invented in the garden. Adam said, blamed Eve for the sin. The woman that you gave me gave me this, okay? And Eve says, well, the serpent, you know, said this. And so they hid, Adam and Eve, hid from an omnipresent, omniscient God. Good luck with that. And they believed the lie that Satan told them. And so we all do. I'm just saying that when we confess, it's about really getting to the truth of who we are. And that's a really healthy thing in counseling, and that's a really healthy thing in our spiritual lives. Um, Because here's why. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. He is, when he talked to Pilate, we did this, when he talked to Pilate, what he, Pilate says, is it your kingdom? And he says, no, my kingdom is not of this world, Jesus says. But, but he goes on to say, my kingdom is a kingdom of truth. See, truth is a big deal to God. And when I come face to face in my interactions with him, and I am praying to a holy, righteous God, he wants me to be who I really am. He, I don't have to dress up for my first date anymore. He wants to know, because here's what I know from him. He loves me more than I can even believe. More than, and not only does he love me, he knows me, <laughs> and he still loves me. <laughs> so that's something amazing. Um, so you have to realize that Jesus is the truth. Um, and as opposed to, guess who? Satan, who we know is the father of lies and deception. So confession is about getting to the truth about who I am and bringing that before a holy God and letting him wash me. 
Um, so praying, uh, okay, so confession is praying the truth about myself to God, and Jesus tells me that um, the truth will set me free. So, so basically, I, I already took my sin out, but that's what, that's what confession is, taking that sin out, giving it to him. 1 John 1, 8 and 9, and I'm going to read you 8 because everyone forgets 8. 8 says, if we say we have no sin, John is talking to believers here. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Proverbs 28, 13 says, Whoever conceals his transgressions will not prosper, but he who confesses and forsakes them will obtain mercy. Let me just tell you, we fool ourselves. And we look at Adam and Eve and say, oh, how silly they were. They hid themselves from an omniscient and an omnipresent God. They hid themselves. But we ladies hide the truth of our sin from ourselves all the time. And that's why we need to live in communion with him so that we don't have to go so far down the path of deception that we hurt people, love people that we love, uh, that we can confess things and get right so that we live in the truth of ourselves. And that truth sets us free. Um, okay, so John MacArthur continues... Uh, so there's a beautiful analogy of this, and I want you to all turn to John 13 right now, because I'm going to read a, a little bit of it. And only Jesus can do this. He's really t- preaching a little sermon. Um, he's washing their feet. He's preaching a little sermon about how he wants them, these disciples, to all be serve good servants like he is. Okay, but he puts in within this this little vignette. He puts in this little thing about confession. So amazing. Only he can do that. That we can find later, like a hidden treasure. Um, so John 13, 6 through 10. Uh, during the Last Supper, Jesus began washing the disciples' feet as a demonstration of humble serving spirit that every follower should have. And this is what he says. Then he comes to Simon Peter who said, Lord, do you wash my feet? And Jesus answered, what am I doing? What I'm doing to you, you do not understand now, but afterwards you will understand. And Peter said to him, you shall never wash my feet. And Jesus answered him, if I do not wash you, you'll have no share with me. So Peter said to him, Lord, not only my feet, but also my hands and my head. Jesus said to him, the one who has bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but to be completely clean. You are clean, but not every one of you. So this is Jesus's hidden little message about daily confession. We don't have to just jump in again. We just have to keep a clean, short account. Because he has, clean, he has imputed Christ's righteousness to us. But when we sin and we clog the pipe... We got to get that out, ladies. Okay, and that's what Jesus is talking about. The one who has bathed does not need to wash except for his feet to be completely clean. So John MacArthur says Jesus's act of foot washing was therefore more than the example of humility. It was also a picture of forgiveness—the forgiveness God gives 
in the repeated cleansing of those who are already saved. Dirt on the feet symbolizes the daily surface contamination from sin that we experience as we walk through life. It does not and cannot make us entirely dirty because we have been permanently cleansed from that. The positional purging at salvation that occurs at regeneration needs no repetition, but the practical purging is needed every day. Because every day we fall short of God's perfect holiness. Okay, so... As judge, God is eager to forgive sinners, and as a father, he's even more eager to keep forgiving his children. As fast and pervasive as sin is on man, God's forgiveness is more vast and greater. Paul says it best, where sin abounds, God's grace abounds even more. That's Romans 5.20. Oh, I'll just read the whole thing. Romans 5, 19 through 24, as by one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners. So by the one man's obedience, many will be made righteous. Now, the law came in to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. So that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness leading to eternal life. So this is the part of the prayer that we talked about before John Piper's illustration where we shoot the stars. Every day we are to come before our holy God and say, hmm, let me just bathe in your, the splendor of your holiness and let me see where I fall short. Let me confess that and let me recalculate and recalibrate my position so that I am directly in the will of God. Um, So uh, there are some beautiful, beautiful prayers of confession, and I found a few, but if I want your homework assignment is to find more. Um, They're all over. Because the Bible, um, unfortunately, since it was written to men, men are all sinners, there's just lots of examples (laughs) to choose from here, (laughs) so many. Um, one of my favorite is Psalms 139, 1 through 3, and then 23 through 24. And I pray this frequently. Oh, Lord, you've searched me and you've known me. You know when I sit, up, sit down and when I rise up and you discern my thoughts from afar. And then at the end of this beautiful prayer, which is one of David's top ten for sure, he says, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me. And know my thoughts. See if there be any grievous, hurtful way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Ladies, you can pray that every day. It's a freebie. Um, Psalm 51 is David's confession after Nathan the prophet looked at him and said, You are the man, which is such a great story. Um, If you don't know it, you should go back and read it. Um, But David was overwhelmed by his sin. And so he, and of course, David being David, knew how grievous his sin was before God. And even, you know, according to our worlds, I mean, it was a pretty bad sin. Not only did he sleep with Bathsheba, he also had Uriah the Hittite, one of his mighty men, by the way, uh, killed. 
um, so that he could sleep with Bathsheba, um, his wife. So he comes to God, and I'm just so happy that this is here. I'm so happy that God can forgive all of our sin, and none of us, and, and we're all sinful before him. Because he writes, he writes uh, in 51.1, and then I'm going to write 6 through 8, and then 10 through 12, but really the whole thing. you got to read the whole thing. Be gracious to me, O God, according to your loving kindness, according to the greatness of your compassion, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. Behold, you delight in truth in the inward being, and you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. Purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. And here's the best part. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. That's something we can each pray to him every day. I like praying scripture because then I know I like, I, I'm not messing it up. You know, I, that's just kind of where I am. Uh, Psalms 86, 5 and 6, though all of it, Psalms 86 is good, but this is the best part. For you, O Lord, are good and forgiving, abounding in steadfast love to all who call upon you. Give ear, O Lord, to my prayer. Listen to my plea for grace. Don't you love that? So in the Lord's Prayer, why didn't Jesus start out with confession? Ah, good question. So it's very important that we, when we practice confession of sin, we have to start with the holiness of God. We have to see God in all his glory before we look at ourselves. We like to compare ourselves with each other. Paul says, if we do that in 2 Corinthians 10, 12, we are not wise. That's nice Christian word for saying you're an idiot. Don't do that, okay? <laughs> we look good when we compare ourselves to each other, right? So, like, for example, if I was going to say to you, what color is this shirt? What would you say? Okay. If I said, what color is this shirt? See the difference? See, this one my husband has worn for probably five years, and I've bleached it every time, but it is dingy white, right? But see, I, I, you can, I, this looked white until I showed this one, this bright new white shirt next to it, right? You see that? Everyone seeing that? That's us. See, Jesus says, you guys got to get an idea of who God is. Then what you're doing will stand out. Okay, so that's why, that's why we have that. And there's examples of that. For example, I'm going to read you just one. Um, uh, Isaiah 6, 1 through 5, I'll summarize it. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon the throne, high and lifted up. And his train of his robe filled the temple. He goes on to that, angels flying around, and one called to the other, saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory, and the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called, and the house was filled with smoke. And I said, this is Isaiah, Woe is me, for I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. 
For my eyes have seen the king, the Lord of hosts. We talked about Job last week. He's the one that said, I heard of you by the hearing of my ear. Now my eyes see you and I despise myself and I repent in dust and ashes. See, it's a comparison thing. And I want you to get there because that's why he, we are supposed to spend half the time in our prayer reveling in his, the, the splendor of his holiness, attributing, pledging our allegiance to his kingdom, submitting my will to his will, getting, because then all of a sudden I see who I really am. And I, like Job, repent in dust and ashes. Uh, another one is Ezekiel 1. You can read that on your own time. Okay, um, John MacArthur says it's difficult to confess our sins. This is not something that you say to yourself, ooh, I'm going to have a brownie and then confess my sins. You know, like, this is not something that we want to do. <laughs> um, both Satan and our prideful nature fight against us confessing sin. Our natural thing is to hide the sin. To cover it up, just like Adam and Eve. But the only, this is the only way to live a free and joyful life. Proverbs 28, 13 says, He who conceals his transgressions will not prosper, but he who confesses and forsakes them will find compassion. You have to know that there's a part of you that doesn't want anybody, I don't even want to talk about because I don't even want to admit that that's kind of who I am. I want to say I'm past that. And, uh, you know, Jeremiah says in 7, 8, Behold, you trust in deceptive words to no avail. And then he goes on, the famous one, Jeremiah 7, 17, 9, and 10, The heart is deceitful above all else and desperately wicked. Who can understand it? The Lord, I, the Lord, search the heart, test the mind to give every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his deeds. So you just have to know that there's a part of you that does not want to confess. That is your sinful part. That's your flesh nature. Uh, Paul says, read Romans 7 when, on your own time. I, the things I want to do, I don't do. The things I do want to do, I don't do. Who can free me from this bondage of sin and death? And he ends at the chapter, thanks be to Jesus Christ, because that's the only way. But you have to know that that is who we fight sometimes with that. Um, and this is... We sang this hymn today. Oh, to grace, how great a debtor. Daily I'm constrained to be. Let thy goodness like a fetter bind my wandering heart to thee. Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Here's my heart, oh, take and seal it. Seal it for the courts above. See, it's, it's a thing. So you've got to realize that this is the end. This is the battle inside. John Stott says, one of the surest antidotes to the process of moral hardening is the disciplined practice of uncovering our sins of thought and outlet as well as word and deed and the repentant forsaking of them. You want to stay clean with God, you got to do this every day. If you let weeds grow in your garden, they'll take over your garden. You know that. Jesus says, Pluck the weeds daily. So, um, a Puritan saint says, I am guilty, but pardoned. I am lost, but saved. I am wandering, but found. 
I am sinning but cleansed. Give me perpetual brokenheartedness and keep me always clinging to thy cross. That's a good prayer. Because that's what we do. We are clinging to his cross when we confess our sins. And we're saying, you, you knew this, you forgave this, forgive me yet one more time. And he will. So um, we need to confess. Now you're thinking, okay, let's talk about the point number four, which is his prerequisite, our forgiveness of others. Let's go back to Matthew 6, 12. It says, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And then skip a verse because he has to explain this because we're slow learners. Matthew 6, 14 and 15 say, for if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Okay, so in forgiving others, Jesus is not talking about salvation here, but he's talking about fellowship. Because unforgiveness, when unforgiveness, which we have lots of opportunities Unforgiveness is a sin. Unforgiveness is a sin, and it needs to be confessed as well. And it says, for in forgiving others, Jesus is not talking about salvation, but fellowship. Unforgiveness is a sin. Sin separates. God can't hear us when we have sin in our heart. Psalm 66, 18, if I cherished iniquity in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. Um, Thomas Manton, a Puritan writer, said, There is none so tender to others as they would have received mercy themselves, for they know how gently God has dealt with them. See, unforgiveness is a sin, but forgiveness of each other is such a blessing. I mean, a sin, this is, how, this is the sin, but the blessing is a millionfold. Um, unfortunately, we are, sometimes we are misers when we distribute God's grace. And we have storerooms full, and we eke it out like little, little needle, drop, 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 drop. I've noticed a correlation in my spiritual life I could be wrong. This is me talking, not anybody important that I quote. <laughs> not my dead guys. <laughs> the younger saints are interested in their own welfare and other people's sin. <laughs> the older you get, all of a sudden you, the mature saints, you start being more concerned with others' welfare and your sin much more. Um, the more you mature, you probably sin less, but you're convicted more because sin seems blacker as it comes in contrast with your growing knowledge of God and his holiness. And that's the way it should be. Because let me tell you, a lot of times, as a younger saint, you know, you're, you're walking through the garden, right? And you don't even recognize a weed until like it overshadows, you know, your rose bush. And then you're like, ooh, something wrong here. But as a you mature, you're like, that's a weed right there. I know that's a weed. <laughs> Peggy saying, amen. <laughs> She's our gardener. <laughs> so what, isn't it nice that we get to do this every day? 
and we can pluck so that our garden blooms to the glory of God. Okay, so this forgiveness that we're supposed to be handing out, it's kind of like the COVID vaccine. You're like, okay, <laughs> what? <laughs> it's a problem of distribution. <laughs> we can have all the vaccines in the world, but how can we get them into the arms of the people? Have you not heard that a million times? Get the arms of the people. <laughs> okay, so uh, we first must see ourselves as objects of God's abundant mercy before we can become vessels or before we can distribute his mercy to others. We have to see that. Um, it, it has to happen that way, and that's why this is the fifth petition after the first three, talking about how good God is. Um, so my perception of how much grace I've been given will depend how much I give. And that's, if you think about that, think about, you can think about that later in traffic, but that's really true. If I see that he has forgiven a huge debt, like I, I just get, a, I love Pastor Jeff. You know, he's up there saying, yeah, I was a dope fiend. See, and let me just tell you, nobody will ever convince Jeff that he got to heaven on his own merits because he was a dope fiend, okay? But yet we, we're like, we're not that bad. We're just not that bad. And I, so Jeff has a greater chance of being forgiving than we do who have never been dope beans because we don't see God's grace overflowing to cleanse our sin, but it has. So anyway, there you can think about that later. So R.C. Sproul writes, notice, however, that Jesus attaches this condition to this petition. He doesn't simply to tell for, say to us, forgive us our debts. Rather, we are to ask God to forgive us as we forgive our debtors. In my opinion, this is one of the most frightening lines in the Lord's Prayer, R.C. Sproul says. If this condition is to be taken literally, we're finished. Manifestly, if God forgave me in the exact proportion in the manner which I distribute forgiveness to other people, bad, I would perish. I just cannot be as forgiving as God. None of us can. But thank God that this is an aspiration rather than a condition, that Jesus is teaching us to aspire to mirror, to reflect God's kindness, to stand ready to forgive anyone who has sinned against us or has offended us when they repent. It says, forgive them. Okay, so Matthew, the accountant, records the, this famous parable, and I'm not going to have time to read it to you, but you're going to have to look it up yourself. Matthew 18, 21 through 35. This is when Peter says uh, up to Jesus, well, how often do I need, if my brother sins against me, how, how many times do I need to forgive him before he's done with that? As many as seven times? And Jesus said, I do not seven times, say seven times, but 70 times seven. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. You know Matthew's loving this, right? Okay. So he talks about how this one king has all, this, this one guy owed him a truckload. And actually the word that they use is more money than anybody could ever have paid off. An insurmountable debt. And he comes, he begs, and he says words like, have patience with me, I will pay you everything. And out of pity, the king forgives him. 
And then we hear the story, how this, he goes to, to another guy who owes him like 50 cents. And the guy says the exact same words that he said to the king. Oh, please, um, forgive me. Have patience with me, and I will pay you everything. And this man said, uh, nada. He refused. He went and he put him into prison until he should pay the debt. So his servants saw that, and they outed him. And the king comes back and says, and this is what I want you to hear, you wicked servant, I forgave you all the debt because you pleaded with me, and you should... And should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant, just as I had mercy on you? And in his anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay the debt. So my heavenly father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. So I'm just saying, this is not like an optional thing. Like, oh, I, and most Christians think that, you know, like I'm not ready to forgive. Girl, he, he could be coming today. You better get ready. Um, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Um, now, let me just say this is our. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Let's talk about that for a second. Because this petition then reminds us of the depth of our sinfulness and our need for daily confession and our need for forgiveness, but also of our Christian duty in our interpersonal relationships on a human level. We are to keep short accounts, not just on our vertical relationship with God, but with our horizontal relationship with one another. See, this is what he commands. I don't have time to read it, but Colossians 3 12 and 13 were to put on God's holy garments, humility, meekness, bearing with each other. And if anyone has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, how? As the Lord has forgiven you. Another one is Jesus says in Luke 17, 3 and 4, he says, if somebody sins against you seven times a day and turns to you seven times saying, I repent, you must forgive him. So it's not an option. We don't get to just decide when it's time to forgive. We are commanded. But let me just tell you, you need to get back into the first three petitions. You need to hallow his name. You need to commit to his kingdom. And you need to submit your will. And then you will find that as he's forgiven you, you will now have the, the mojo because he will give it to you via the pipe to forgive others. Okay? So... And this is not the, should have been the hallmark of the church, that we love and forgive each other. Okay, so I am uh, almost out of town. So I want you to know that I was driving my bike the other day, and there's this home that is right next to my home, and there, it had been kind of let go. There had been lots, the home was not in great shape. A pig actually had lived in that home. And um, anyway, they're tearing it up. They're tearing the house up. They even tearing the driveway up. And there's a backhoe, and it's a big mess. And the gal that owns the home lives a couple of doors down. She was coming up to me, and I was riding by, and I'm like, I look at her, and I'm like, man, looks good. And she looks at me like, are you even kidding me? Because, I mean, there's a backhoe. There's huge rocks everywhere. Um, but see, she's looking at the mess, and I'm looking at what it's going to look like when it's done. Because I know she's going to do a great job. 
See, this is necessary to get to the new and the better is to destroy the old and get rid of the old. And we are God's construction project. And when he tears walls down and we have to confess, it's only because he's got something new and better and greater for us. Amen?